Hi, ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Jeremy. What you are about to hear was the first attempt at recording an episode about The Crow with John and Jamia. This recorded back in early September 2016. It is a far looser conversation that uh, I pretty much let go off the rails immediately because that seemed much more entertaining at the time. So this is it presented more of a B-side to our episode about The Crow that was recorded. We uh, We did it again two months later and actually got a proper episode out of that. In this one, we talk about everything from the Labyrinth or our stories about moving to Portland, how we got introduced to the Crow, the comic, and everything else. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Hello everyone, welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I am Jeremy, I am your host. I am with uh, two folks who decided to help donate part of their Labor Day weekend in traveling here to northeast portland to hang out in the lovely uh basement apartment studios where we uh watched the film the crow from 1994 and um also say can you guys introduce yourselves i'm jamia jefferson um i'm a huge nerd and i work at dark horse comics and i write books and uh, i have the, uh, the 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 gothic advantage over some other people trying to understand that film i'm john asher um i uh create some comics some time not always uh i have an artistic background and i've always kind of been into nerdy stuff as well and somehow jeremy thought i was qualified to comment on this uh this uh review of the crow such as it is yes hmm Yes, yeah, so um, review. We're taking it to task. Well, it's sort of, I'd say, sort of review. It's uh, more of a, at this point, after um, we've had enough beer and wine and spritzers and mixed drinks and wa- and just fi- just finished watching the film again, you know, thank you, uh, Lionsgate Blu-ray, mm. for your excellent edition. This Very is not a plug. Good. This is uh, this is just the that's just the edition available on Amazon. It's just your heartfelt seriously gratitude. really good though. I mean, the actual Blu-ray presentation got to give that serious props. Pretty yeah, uh, uh, it didn't have to be that awesome. That's true. A wonderful uh, a wonderful presentation, all for uh, about uh, eighteen to twelve dollars. Oh, check that eleven <laughs> to twelve dollars American. Bitchin'. Yeah. 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 Anyway, the Jeremy, Vic- you Vic- should seize control of these proceedings again. I, Vic- just, I just noticed the Christmas lights, the multicolored Christmas lights. You have to have that in this, the studio, man. In it's it's like by law. Well, no, that's, yeah, because uh, as I mentioned before, the place we were in was not really wired for domestic uh, inhabitation. It was wired for an office in, a, in an old Victorian house. And it's a I, pre- cave. I much more prefer um, colored. It's not really. This is co- you know colored. What's up? It's, it's not really gothic. It's more it's more circusy. Oh no! This is no. It's this a, is a circusy oh, multicolored gothic cave because it has no windows. I was or... saying this. There's nothing gothic about that. You have mm. I have a large 
uh, Fallout Four uh, poster the over there, and then true. another uh, the one the Wonder Woman DC bombshells poster behind here, yeah. plus a um, Alan Partridge and a signed poster from Andy Daly from his promo stand up tour. <laughs> Uh, two years ago, which is now falling. I think so. Yeah, there's, there is, uh, there. No, ain't... there's nothing gothic about this shit. No, I yeah, 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 yeah. There's, okay. I, I have, I have three lava lamps atop my, on top of the computer desk, sharing those, sharing Alan shelf Partridge space. Is the anti-goth? Yeah, the sharing. Exposed, the exposed brick is a nice. It is. It is. It's. It's very hip. It's very Portland now. Yeah. Hey, well, it is. Except, I guess yeah, these these the light bulbs we have, the Christmas lights we have in here aren't quite couldn't quite be considered the De Rigueur, uh, Edi- uh Edison bulbs that you need for your uh, modern restaurants lighting oh, exposed bulb. Right, uh, right. I mean, hell, even that thing is a C- even the C- our single ceiling lamp is a uh, a CFL put inside a cheap paper lantern because I want it to look decent. You know. That's actually Portland now. <laughs> Sorry, you're still extra, extra, extra Portland now. Cause, yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're still doing the thing. But on the other hand, I'm really glad that people now understand how important tube amps are. But that means that I can never have one now because once upon a time, you could just get a tube amp for nothing because nobody knew anything about whether or not they were, you know, it was worth it. Now you now it's not really a thing you can do. But I don't think the, I don't think the tube. But the tube band thing has been around for years. It's like yeah, but like a, until like literally like ten years ago, I would say especially, and it is it is very much due to Portland culture, because the same people who like started like getting really into Portland culture before it was like an international thing because like Portland is now like done. We're not hip anymore. Good. Thank God, I know, right? Isn't there Woo. a place on Alberta that makes like artisanal tube apps? Yes, there is actually. Uh, more than and, just, uh, out, more so, than like, just all, the, all the people I know who are in like you know sort of psychedelic influenced bands, was, and they're totally all my kidding. friends. Be, became no, it's actually it's true. true. Yeah. yeah, no, it's almost. I think like they're a, in Mississippi actually, no, okay. and I'm not it kidding. Like a, it's like a Portlandia. Yeah, that they're actually like making like artisanal tube amps because they sound so great. Yeah, no, and once you've it, had one, you don't want to you don't want to use any anything else you got one of those like crazy leslie ones that has the the speaker that Spe- flips spitting, around spitting it's speaker amazing. yeah amazing it you, you can't make sounds that sound like that so you know for all the rock and roll bands who've been strip mining our town for the cool parts yeah that's that's actually what's that's that's the real thing and the japanese especially because oh they love their beach boys who can blame them Uh, this podcast being recorded on the 12th anniversary of my arrival in this town Yay. from uh, the uh, the other forested city that was Ann Arbor. You know, how do you feel about that, though? How do you feel about Portland versus Ann Arbor? Because I've known people who've done the opposite, but they're not in Ann Arbor anymore, either. Where they moved from um, here to there. Ann Arbor, uh, I was having bor- born and raised in Michigan mm-hmm. in... Uh, in the scenic storied town that is Flint, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Escaped to Ann Arbor when I was 18 to, uh, instead of going to the uh, Colorado Springs to join the Air Force Academy, like mm-hmm. my original plan was for a while, mm-hmm. I decided to say, screw that, I'm just going to go get my engineering degree mm-hmm. and headed to University of Michigan instead. 
I, I know. I weirdly know all about this sort of thing. So yeah, and uh, I'm really getting it. Yeah, d- uh, double majored in uh, double majored in engineering uh, in electrical and aerospace, which kept me uh, in Ann Arbor as an undergrad until for six years until the year 2000. And by about 99, 2000, Ann Arbor started changing. And well, check that the change it was going through was palpable enough that it was a lot less fun. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Ann Arbor started becoming a lot less fun. For example, you know, certain places like the Del Rio closed, which was a, uh, a local touchstone that was, you know, the excellent cool hangout, uh, divey dive bar slash restaurant. Um, but you know, kicked and it wound up staying in Ann Arbor for too long for four years, and then finally, after uh, summer of '04, thanks to internet friends and a day job that I was working in, of all things, the mortgage industry, mm-hmm. was able to fly out, do a scouting trip to Seattle, and then uh, came out, well, first to Seattle, saw that for a few days, and motored down to Portland to check this place out. And by the second day I was here, it's pretty much, you know what, I'm, you know, eff it, I'm moving here. And my internet friends that I was staying with said, okay, sure. Well, now we need to find you a place to live. Let's go to Craigslist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, found a place. You could do that yeah. This was uh, This was <laughs> 2004, oh, ladies and gentlemen. What oh, can you say? That was a year before I came up. 2005. Oh, oh you and new booty. I love it. Well, did you know um, the same Michigan It's really changed since I got I came up and, and, and knew... Meaning like De- Devin and Justin and Sean Hemack and Charity and, and and those folks. Uh, Devin and Justin, I met through I met through Angie and Amanda. Which is oh, how okay. I met you. Um, through the Kinkos. Yeah, through group. well through the yeah the extended Kinkos group. Uh, back when there yeah because again you know Portland times of <laughs> time. Well, we are speaking of uh, historical pop culture and other things. Uh, this it's is all, all you know years back of um. In the you know before the dark times before the empire, before um, when we when there still was a thing called Kinkos before it became FedEx Office, is when um, indeed you know the, you know, uh, you know do, cross yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, do you know as a pour one out for the long lost Kinkos. I was uh, I, I was in the in in uh, involved during the middle period when it was FedEx Kinkos. I think I was there too. Well, it was, you were there because that's when I met you. Yes, yeah. I think I think. Well, that was the um. Well, that was. The, I think I'm. Yeah, I met you at. I can remember the very first time I ever met like Justin and Devin, was like this would have been, early oh five oh six. Yeah, yeah, it was probably oh five because because I, I only worked at uh, at FedEx Kinkos until March of oh six. Were you at the which one were you at? Were you at the Mall two hundred five? Were you at the one on no. Widler and uh, Widler and Seventh? Yeah, yeah, I was seventh and Widler. I was the Lloyd Center district. It oh yes, yeah. it was. Uh, Lloyd Center Kinkos, disgustingly busy. Lloyd Center Kinkos. Oh yeah, no, it's um. <laughs> it's the way I think I know about. God, like, like, I think I still have. I still, I'm still Facebook connected with. I want to say eight people who were either who were there for years or there briefly. Like you know, get a hold of like you know guys like Adam Mullet and. Um, I love that guy. The weirdest thing is like his room. He was he came out here from Ann Arbor before I did, mm-hmm. and he was roommates with another another college radio buddy of mine. Um, because the world is just that small. I love it. Portland is basically like this hotbed of incest that never really happened here, like jobcest. 
Well, or like uh, like dorm roommate cest, but from places that are not actually from Portland because the people have moved there and yet they moved in the same kind of circles and there's so like the same dramas come up again Michigan and again. And, Portland. and then yeah. there's the Michigan and the, there's the Michigan Portland thing. There's the DC and Portland thing where I got caught up in that for a while. I'm from Colorado. There's been none of. There's been no drama with that because people don't really come here from Colorado. Well, not yeah. Well, it's Colorado. Well, uh, there are certain call it destination cities. Yeah. Where we're starting to bounce back and forth a little bit now um, because the I guess the, the 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 cultures of the two cities are really kind of like financially similar. Mm-hmm. Like the sorts of things that make a lot of money or tend to be similar between the two cities. So you get a lot of people like, like kind of establishing roots in both towns and kind of being able to interact with the, the general culture there. But at the same time, so much of just like the weirdness of both towns hasn't really like they haven't made it across to each other which is kind of fun because then i get to be weird in that denver way and people think it's fresh and original <laughs> it's totally not it's, well, it's just something they haven't seen before that's true well there, it, could, it could be that the uh, the weirder tarp the weirder parts or i mean it, it could be a form really of weird, a form of sampling air where <laughs> the, uh, the, the well the in, and i bring that because of the people in one city who are mo- who most exhibit what could be considered behavior at you know um comprising the weirder parts mm-hmm. do not have the liquid capital and uh, are not yes. in the in the correct life position to easily make that jump um i mean how what is it or, it's like what the 12 it's like what 12 16 hours to, how far is it to denver from here on the road as a drive as a drive it's a if you're going to be sane, it's about 22 hours. Okay, yeah. 24 hours if you're actually relaxed about things and you can, like, actually take it. Yeah. It, uh, otherwise, it's, you know, it's 28 hours. and yeah. is, Or at different times of the year, it, it can be 28 to 30 hours of oh, a drive. Oh, yeah. I've um, I've motored from... I've I've only I've only done it once and uh it was pretty amazing and uh it was the straight drive through it was about 24 hours my friend was driving and I was not expecting to go on that road trip so I was just like wow okay and uh then we ended up at Evergreen State College where they immediately smoked me out really 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 hard and spent the next like 24 hours baked out of my mind. <laughs> so like that is that's that's an anomaly and I don't really I don't measure any other life events compared to that in any way. So like unfortunately that means that that drive that really specific one was mm-hmm. really is is uh it's a little bit it's it's a little strange to me. Singular. It's it's singular. I mean, a really wonderful time. I mean, I remember with crystalline clarity. Um, there was a there was a, a, a note on uh, one of the cabinets of the dorm that we were staying in at the Evergreen State University that had a little drawing of a cat, a cartoon drawing of a cat, and the 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 words "Do not get our kitty witty baked." And then on the bottom part of the of the flyer was another shot of the you know another scene of the the adorable cartoon cat like with X's for eyes and uh, a skull floating up from from its face to you know to remind the people in the in that particular domicile 
that they shouldn't trap their like nine week old kitten in the cabinet and then blow smoke at it because yeah. it would result in death. Please don't hotbox the small furred life, life don't form. Don't hotbox <laughs> any small life forms at all, but the fact that they had to put up a sign which means that it had happened multiple times by then. <laughs> Days since last ac- last recorded accidents <laughs> you know, exactly. zero eight five and then it's like scratched out and zero zero one it's scratched and, out and again. Really to me that's you know I, I I still want to go there, but that's what the Evergreen State College means to me. And, you know, yeah, I kind of want to go there. You hope to go back there someday? I, I would like to see what it's like to go to school at a place like that, because I just, I, no one can really conceive of what that's like unless they've done it, where you have no directions of any kind, no strictures and no directions. No, you, cre- you create your own curricula. You create your own lesson plans, and you deliver your own work according to your own your own rules. And the better you can do that, the better grades that you get. So no gods, no masters. That's right. Uh, so almost nobody actually graduates from that place. <laughs> I knew someone in high school who, at one point, <clears throat> was looking at evergreen and that's what i remember the, the most the famous place. evergreen state college uh graduate is mad Groening of the simpsons huh. the second most is linda berry of uh of ernie pook's comic his girlfriend at evergreen state college and still his best friend those are the kinds of people that you get from that kind of that environment and that <laughs> that learning opportunity and like some of the like sharpest minds i'd ever met were the people that we were staying with and i was like oh dear god the pacific northwest is filled with incredibly brainy people what am i gonna do <laughs> this is gonna be oh oh boy i can't actually rest on my laurels anymore can i the pacific northwest is different exactly and on that night we will take a break we'll be right back John, what's your story? How did you wind up here? In in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Um, I where, where did you, I guess to say where where when did you start from? Um, I, I was born in New York City in '77. Uh, um, I grew up there until I was 13, and that summer, my father and mother uh, and brother and myself, we all. Uh, got a moving truck and packed up the car and moved. or actually we I think we had the car the cars were driven out to us by by a company we took, took a, a flight out to San Diego and we I I guess they 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 bought a house there and we uh moved into a suburban tract house in San Diego. Wow, that's a ways to go. Yeah, it was, it was strange. That's like the precise opposite of the country. It, it was a very strange thing for me. I, to, I, my, my youth was like very uh, urban. My neighborhood was really urban and uh, uh, used to being you know uh in northeastern america when it, where it's urban and you have multiple we- you have multiple seasons new york in multiple particular seasons, but like just the culture shock i mean there there was 
uh, the density of New York is it's simply not replicated anywhere else in North America, basically. With one, well, with there's only one city that meets it, and uh, I think only Boston is uh, close enough to it. Well, have you been to Toronto and Boston? Because I've only yes. been to Boston. And you think that Boston contains that level of like unbelievable urban density? Um, well, maybe it's you, just you like subdivided so by so many hustles going on, so many businesses, so many people, so many places to live. There's just like every you, block has like a million people doing amazing shit on it. I guess if you divide it by by by, by if you dividing it by subdivision, but then again, with Toronto, you don't have uh, Toronto. You don't have as much of the um, as much as of a water barrier as you do in in New York, mm-hmm. or I mean, technically Boston too. But I say this as someone who you know I was born, <laughs> I lived in a large state surrounded by Great Lakes, so um, <laughs> you know that, that's much where I'm coming from. All right, so you guys moved. To, you moved to whole family. You pick, pulls up stakes and moves to uh, San Diego. When you were uh, thirteen. When you were thirteen. <laughs> Bruh. Perfect, God. Nineteen. Uh, oh you, yeah, God. you, yeah, you, you, uh, you, uh, you left town right before the real world started. That's that. that that's got to be damaging. It um, was. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really interesting. It was. Uh, uh, oh. Right in the middle of the 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 Bush one administration. Uh, David remember. Dinkins as mayor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, and um, it was. Uh, Prior to uh, the well, the Gulf War, and that that was that was a, a huge thing in San Diego because San Diego mm-hmm. was a big military town. Right. Yeah, this so was a major naval it was, operation. Um, it was uh, Navy and, and Marines alike, mm-hmm. um, and so the overflow of patriotism coming out of oh. you know, San Diego during the time of the Gulf War, yellow ribbons everywhere, and like oh, I'm... moments of silences to support our troops, and, and all this. It was. Um, I, people had the, the the American flags and the cars and the yeah. I mean, it was just uh, overwhelming. I, it, it was overwhelming, and and I had no idea that it, it was any different than anywhere else. I just thought that wow, this is crazy. The the way society suddenly like so pro military. I mean, and and you know, I mm-hmm. kind of followed the the CNN reality show of, of the Gulf War and I, you know <laughs> doesn't seem like the troops are really in that much trouble um, <laughs> I think they're going to be just fine Generally, I think they're going to they're going to they're going to pull out of this one okay right well um, and, and, despite you know and just he, despite our, our and then it was fine and then it was like fire. really actually completely not fine all of a sudden yep. and uh, we're only just now I mean they, they only really need to, to be protected uh, from from what they're exposed to in our own military yeah. and, and friendly fire but. and they we still lost like um oh, I can't even remember what the active number what the, the it was like what low low three we lost low three figures of 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 service folks at the time and I, then but and then but you know but this was just like during during the active conflict and but but yeah but later the um almost like you know agent agent orange like you know the after effects you know from Gulf War P- syndrome Gulf War syndrome yes yeah. uh, Gulf War syndrome PTSD and like from on was just almost like uncountable numbers but geez, do you remember the? Do you remember they they had the, 
the I mean I guess it been it, it was sort of like the war that like America hadn't really been in an all out combat mission since like right. you know and this this since is our Vietnam. chance this is our chance to do like this is going to be our our good war and they had like the, the what did Bono and all the other celebrities come and sing the song about voices that care it was a stand strong stand proud voices that care are crying out loud and when you close your eyes tonight feel in your heart how our love burns bright it was a, it was the 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 this song to our troops well uh, that one i don't remember i i i still remember the uh the modern yeah this would have been this was early early uh early 91 maybe version of um like the remix of all we are seeing is give peace a chance which i think was just like on the very put out because i remember it running on mtv right up until the um I remember that it had Sean Lennon. Yeah, it had Sean Lennon. Yeah, and Yoko. You know, and and that, I think, it pisses me off how she's all about Sean, 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 and Julian never, never really gets a fair shake as yeah. being John Lennon's heir. But even you know, the dude himself, yeah, had a properly pop singing voice and had actually had some pop, some decent pop hits, mullet notwithstanding. But it's I like Julian Lennon. Yeah. A controversial but, stance, no, no doubt. Uh, he had that one. Uh, but it's much too late for, for goodbye. goodbye. Much too late. Don't worry about Julian. He's fine. Yeah, they all. Oh, they fine. all. They all get. Re, they all get residuals. It's okay. He's all been right. doing all right. He's got his own career. He's got his own money coming in, unlike Mr. Sean. Sorry, Sean. So, um, anyway, so we we fast forward to, uh, several years past the uh, the troubles of the early nineties. How did you how did did you wind up um, wind up up here? Oh, how did I get to Portland? <clears throat> um, I, uh, I I was working for a, a web development company in uh, the early uh, well, I guess in, in ninety nine. 2000, 2000 was when I got hired, and uh, I worked at a web company for about three years, and uh, I had a pretty severe MS attack that took me out of com commission for uh, for a few a few weeks to a month and a half. So mm, went back geez. to work when I, I I hadn't fully recovered, but started working again, and uh, I uh, I actually had a, a second MS attack before I had really completely healed from the first. Oh, uh, wow. For the first time that left left uh I'm not laughing at oh, you. you get I'm a pass. laughing alongside <laughs> you. You get a you get a pass, right? You can laugh all you want. You you got it worse than I do. Um, I just know about the going back to work before you're fully recovered and it's like, oh no, don't do that. So oh, So I went on disability. That. Um I went on disability in two thousand four after my uh my my unemployment state disability ran out. Uh, from the second MS Tech, and uh, in 2005, I was kind of healing up a little more. I was able to talk better. I was able to walk better. I was, you know, I was kind of wanting to just change my scenery and 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 my buddy Devin, who'd been working on me for a long time to try and get get me to move up to move in with with him. 
uh, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, he, you know, I, I guess he, he would ask me every few months and he did it again and I took him up on it. Um, so that's, and, and I also, I had a graphic novel that I'd been working on for a number of, of years that I really was kind of like a pet project that I always wanted to, to finish, which I did, you know, uh, up in, Yay! up in Portland. Good. Um, you know, to, it, it, it was good to have, to, to be, to be done with it. It was published in, uh, 2011, um, by, uh, Cackling Imp Press. That's Devin's, um, small press imprint. Nice. Um, what, what's the, what's the title of your graphic novel? Uh, Neil, like the name Neil, N-E-I-L, just, uh, uh, Neil. but it's kind of a double entendre with like Neil, N-I-L, or nihilism and nihilism and existentialism, because there's a lot, yeah. a lot of like those really dark, uh, uh, existential crisis to nature of reality, Twilight Zone style, like themes play into it. Sign me up. Yeah, you say that. Now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, really. It, it was it, it was shopped around a dark horse quite a bit. Well, that oh well, that's depends, a, that's a different conversation that we're not allowed to have on a podcast. Yeah, I was to say depends. Yeah, it depends trying. on the era too. Now, doesn't mm, it? But. Yeah. Yes, no, I, I, I'm I, uh, I I I there were there were several friends that kind of took a shine to to my project and and were kind of helping to coax me along the way and mm -hmm. groom me for certain publishers or whatnot but no no nothing really panned out in the end mm -hmm. and yeah it just it's it's nice to have it you know uh done with and in 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 the rear view mirror because there's a yeah. lot of things i would have done differently and there's a lot of things i think it, it will help me to do better mm -hmm. you know the next time i have the courage to, <laughs> to to work on one project for over ten years. <laughs> it doesn't take courage; it takes like part of your brain shutting down. The yeah, part it's... that says "Don't do that." That's it. That, that takes up an enormous amount of time and effort. Don't do that yeah. until that part of your brain breaks down. No, you're not going to do a follow up. But if that part of your brain breaks down, good luck. I can't wait to see it. it sounds <laughs> yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, James Gunn actually just posted a thing Gee. on his, on his, uh, on, the, on his Gee, Facebook talking friend. about the, um, about how the, the, the nature of, you know, massive artistic success usually entails killing off or failing at part of your life, part of your life because of you're so, um, I already killed off part of my, I've already killed off multiple parts of my life. Where's my reward? It, 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 well, it's, it's, it's more of a, it's, I think it's more of a correlative than a causal thing. Oh, it's, God damn it. It comes along with it, but it doesn't, it won't necessarily trigger it. I can't just like opt out of that. And then like, I've got an automatic leg up on that. Oh, shit. That, you know, luck, luck is too much of a thing. God, is that, is that like, is that like uh like uh trying to to bring part of of your 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 focus into into a sharper focus by eliminating whatever was competing with it in your yeah. life. Like, so I didn't really love to do Taekwondo when I was a teenager, but I knew I was not going to make that a focus of my professional career. So I, I kind of had to abandon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. even... 
I think um, I could have been. It's I could more, have been a contender, though. You yeah, know? it's more. Oh, do you, do you? How do you treasure like human interaction in your life? Like, how much does that actually matter to you? Because if it doesn't matter all that much, how about you just get rid of it altogether, and then suddenly you have all this time and energy to put into your creative project. See, I'm serious. It works. That's a fatal it flaw. Works. Man, it's I, so great, but you cannot. It takes a, it takes an amount of will that I don't think is okay for people to have to, to be able to consciously bring that on because I've done it both by accident and it's also happened with my conscious effort to do that and yeah it was incredibly productive but yeah it's um it's really hard on you like in years like the the future years where you would have really like helped it would have helped you to have a certain like social a social help with a certain kind of resiliency to to overcome a particular trauma that you have to deal with where a grounding a grounding a sort of a, a sort of a, almost a, almost in a lot of ways a deromanticization mm. of a particular kind of trauma that it's way too easy to romanticize and say this gives you know it's the batmaning this gives this trauma gives me superpowers <laughs> actually and yeah that it will but it also comes at a cost that you don't really get to see that happening to batman unless it's one of those you know really 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 grim dark comics adaptations where batman is basically like a drooling imbecile of revenge and he's completely useless for every single thing except for like vengeance killing uh, and detective work and you know i'm just like you know that's that kind of that rings true to me actually are, do you, are you are you invoking the frank miller batman i'm invoking both that, the frank miller batman or... and also um and i oh was it i can't what, remember his name what era um, fairly recent. Sometime in the last like Snyder 10, 11 or... years. No, no, in comics. Grant oh, Grant Morrison. Then you or... can't do the kinds of things in on screen that the the sort of like released from moral obligation almost altogether. Batman is capable of doing but, well, to. Wasn't to Grant bring Morrison more guys. of a a, a a fun Batman? He can than, be than, like, fun, the dark but he's also green. really scary sometimes. A Warren Ellis actually. Oh dear. Did uh. a Batman story of just like let's stop faffing about with all this. You know, Batman's kind of a gentleman and he won't kill the innocent. But fuck that bullshit. We're gonna show like what he'd actually do to bring about justice, and he would absolutely coldly assess a person's worth in terms of like society in general, and say, you know what? It doesn't really matter if this person is killed. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah, he, I'll like, totally kill this person to make a point to bring this bad guy he, to me. He's like the Ayn Rand enforcer on exactly. society. He's like, he's like, and I can't remember the name of the project, <laughs> but like, I know it really well because I was just like, that is messed up. I and yet I really am kind of into this vision of Batman, and I kind of hope that like we maybe get to see this this kind of character on screen because that would be really powerful i do have you ever have you seen the um the animated the dark knight Returns? oh yes i i just saw that for the first time and i hadn't read i mean i've read the book a bunch of times but mm -hmm. not not for years and yeah I, that's a hell of a thing i mean like i like i i seem to remember uh i i the satire and the darkness of, of you know the, the the political commentary and mm -hmm. how 
much of a of a of a like right wing survivalist perspective mm-hmm. like Frank Miller brought to the table. Yeah, I, it's it's. I mean, if if anything, if we can, you know, maybe like you know, move us a little bit back towards the film concept. If Batman. If an adaptation of that had been done and brought to the big screen, directed by Paul Verhoeven, to like bring it all completely without any kind of veil or glamour glamorification of it, yeah, of, t- like to just really show the like the glory of the right wing ultra violence. We were, of, which Batman represents. That, I'm just like, that would be so great. No, I was yeah. ready. Well, I'm gonna, always ready well, for that who's, shit. Yeah, but who's going to pay him for that? The, I'll uh, pay him for like, it. Like, like Tim Burton, Batman. But Tim Burton was just was, like, we. But, but I mean, everybody credits very that with being so very, uh, very uh, influenced by Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, I don't yeah. see it I don't much. really see that either. I, I, don't I guess see, Tim Burton, is he's a Disney kid. Well, yeah, I think... Well, More the, than anything, he's a Disney kid. Well, two things. One, it's... Uh, Never underestimate the power of marketing, too, um, because of um, true that at the time. Well, you got to remember at the uh, you know at the time this was uh, that uh, Tim Burton Batman was becoming a thing, and this will this was going to come into play in our next episode. Um, Tim Burton Batman was the thing, but you had uh, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen become a massive thing. And this is the still the and so you have you then have an era of three to five to ten years of mm-hmm. bang zoom comics aren't just for kids anymore headlines. So, but you have like okay, okay Batman is dark and uh, and violent now thanks to this one comic and the fact that in the cinematic adaptation he's he's all he's not in. Uh, blue and Purple. gray. Well, the, the Tim Burton aesthetic was yeah, very black. Very, yeah, he's all black, neutral. Yeah, he, yeah, but it's, it's, but it's all black, and fetishistic. But it's but oh, but only on the but on the most um, superficial level that it was this. Well, it looks kind of dark and gothy because he was lucky enough that this one. Oh, by the way, there's this production designer that who's working for Warner Brothers. We think we should have him on your film, Tim. And what's his name? Oh, his name's Anton first. Okay. Well, let's bring him along. Um, it was taken as a far more like, you know, darker and adult and, um, more serious thing, more so than, like, than, than Tim Burton brought to it. I think that mm-hmm. especially, you know, from the last 20 odd years of yeah. Tim Burton projects, we see what he can do. And even for even from um, from Batman was it Batman Returns mm-hmm. kind of the much more not oh, necessarily Batman screwball Returns. but yeah but almost like fairy tale stuff it, then it sort of it was sort of a screwball fairy tale um, BDSM leather fantasy more than and, yeah, more than but, a little but, into but that. for children yeah <laughs> it's a BDSM leather fantasy for children who I mean, like are more comfortable with. A certain level of graphic violence than <laughs> adult audiences tend yeah, to be. Yeah, for this is this is a BDSM fantasy for '90s kids. That's yeah, right. BDSM fantasy and for, we lapped it up, darling. We and lapped it up. That had uh, that had uh, tie in McDonald's Happy Meal toys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Did, did they have never those underestimate the your audience? No, but um, let's uh, and we'll, we'll we will use that as a transition right after this break. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. No, that's fine. It's um, <laughs> but oh my god, cat loving returns. As I said, this is. Uh, I know, like is, I, I, I know, I knew, I know, like multiple lesbians for whom that was their primal moment 
just yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns oh, as man, Catwoman. Yeah. So I... many girls were turned to dare I say the dark side. What what happened to Michelle like, Pfeiffer after that? She didn't really do a, a whole lot since. Oh, she, 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 uh, no, she was no, she was in the uh, she was in the movie with Coolio. Um, that uh, she was in that Gangsters she, Paradise. Yeah, she was in Amish Paradise. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, she she did. Uh, yeah, she, where she was. No, yeah, she was the white lady she's who. Done stuff since. Yeah, she's done, certainly done stuff since. She, but she was the white lady who went down to the hood to and, teach the black class. To, yeah. to teach it, but no, but to, to teach them about not not about hip hop or rap, which is what the what the actual subject of those films used was was hip hop and rap. There's no, in the film, Dylan Thomas. No, it was no, it was not just Dylan Thomas. It was fucking Bob Dylan because we need to sell this to like white uh, to white boomers. How can I reach these kids? <laughs> you have to learn how to cheat. <laughs> okay, um, can I make a really irrational request? What's can that? I please hear Gangster's Paradise right now? Make it happen for me. Um, It'll only take three minutes. Hey, can I? But when I need Gangster's Paradise, Yeah, tell, you, tell, your, tell him that uh, he, he, he should love himself more. That really, that, you know, the light, the world is a glorious place. Um, and if things get really bad, you can just ask the Goblin King to come and take you away right now. <laughs> and, you know, one time out of five or so, Goblin King will actually come through for you. So don't wear that gold ring. Don't worry about the baby. Don't worry about the babe. <laughs> You have 13 hours. Turn back, Sarah. <laughs> Turn back, Sarah, before Turn it's too back. late. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if... Um, <laughs> I can't remember when the last time Rachel said she had seen that film. Um, There's going to be a national screening really, really, really soon. Well, where just... like, it's actually like on big screens in like, major movie theaters, and I kind of want to go just because I want to hear the screaming... Well, not just that, but the, um, because we like, I de um, I deliberately moved to this neighborhood. Um, going back to our earlier conversation about when we moved to Portland, I originally moved into a place up on like Sixth and Prescott, which is two miles north of here in Northeast Portland, mm -hmm. just south of what is now like an even more hilariously overdeveloped Alberta. Uh, um, but anyway, uh, summer July 2010, landlord slash ex roommate. He's like, I get an offer on the house, I'm going to sell it. Uh, I just want to give you guys a heads up. I want to give you a heads up that you're, you know, we're, I'm going to sell this thing and everyone's going to move out. And so I, I have to figure out like where the hell in Portland Metro am I going to move? And I realized, well, you know, F it. You know, um, I need to live within walking distance of the Laurelhurst Theater. One <laughs> percenter, how's that feel? How's that feel? Well, well yes and no. The, I didn't say Laurelhurst neighborhood. I said Laurelhurst Theater. Uh-huh. Uh, I know what you said. Yeah, well, the I, uh, I wind up, thanks to the magic that is Craigslist, I wind up at an Edwardian boarding house over on 20th and Davis. <laughs> For a little bit more than I'm actually what I'm paying here, That's, which is a room in a, a room in a boarding house, and because but the thing is, it's only it's an it's eight blocks away. So I've been living in this neighborhood for six years now, and it's like wow, this is awesome because, you know, I can start, you know, um, it's central enough that I can I can 
drunkenly stagger to yeah. Beulah Land. Your chopsticks yeah. too. Well, not well. Yes, but not any. Well, it, actually, no. That's so worse because. But more, more importantly, the Laurelhurst, Fogia, Fogia, and Mad Greek Deli, and um, uh, Beulah Land. But it's pretty much Beulah Land and and the Laurelhurst mm-hmm. that were like my two main things. Mm-hmm. Be- and well, now we know where my main things differ from yours, Jeremy <laughs> Salmon. Well, it's because we live in. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's it's. To uh, to quote a falling uh, a fall to quote a, a certain film director, it's all a rich tapestry. It's a uh, rich tapestry. But it's kind of a thing where you know, the, um, and eventually, you know, years later, I would you know where where Rachel got kind of like had to leave her place in in Southwest, and uh, I had all of the not exactly how well I, not exactly roommates, more like floor mates who are complaining about me uh together in the kitchen of the mm-hmm. place that i lived in like okay fine well you know f y'all so we found this place um not too far away in the same basic neighborhood i'm not going to give away the exact address because it's the modern era and the internet uh-huh. but um you know i i stayed in the neighborhood because it's like hey it's it's awesome to have the Laurelhurst right there <laughs> No, I bring this up because in terms of uh, when um, when after David Bowie died, a week later, the Laurelhurst had Labyrinth up on the big screen. That's right. That's right. Was it the Laurelhurst or the Hollywood? More than likely, more than likely both. But at least both, the, I know the I know the Laurelhurst. I saw it was the Hollywood a couple of years ago, also. But no, but the, but we and but we saw we definitely saw it at the uh, at the Laurelhurst January. Yeah, in January. That's when it happened. Yeah, maybe. in January, like, like like I said, a week later, and it's kind of like um, trying to explain to trying to explain to both her and other people, like, okay, the reason why the Dark Crystal is very very different from the Labyrinth is because okay, you have you know same basic Muppet and technical crew, but Terry Jones started working on started the script on one, did not start on the script on the on the earlier one, which is why the uh, why the why Labyrinth is far more English and far more like mm-hmm. I dare I say Python esque and far more like sarcastic. It is a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's got fart jokes. Well not just that and but also um like watching It's very Terry Jones. Watching Dark Scarier too. Sorry. Oh, you know, no, no, you're you're correct. But watching Dark Crystal, I think the thing about seeing Dark Crystal as an adult is that um, I can remember. Uh, I can't remember at what point in the film, but at some point, it um, it's a thing where you re- where I got the the realization that not that not that the, not that they necessarily cared more about it, but it's like they were far better at production design than they were at the script. Whereas mm-hmm. it becomes a film that's far more about these awesome visuals and like this cool mm-hmm. created in the uh, detail the yeah detail the, the detail this cool created world rather than um the actual a, story itself this compelling really. like fairy tale story and it's, it's kind of like well the, you know the story is just, just kind of like okay but com- where but it becomes nothing compared to well you you um the characters in the story become nothing compared to what like labyrinth does six years later yeah, and the fact- also, the labyrinth uh, also has the advantage of um, 
and this is really significant for for audiences and i will not let go of its significance the sexual awakening of a young female character oh so many it's of kind of what cinema <laughs> is based on in a lot of ways is like the sexual awakening of a character and or the audience you know or by extension the audience and or in the case of labyrinth where mm. the adolescent main character's sexual awakening happens so both abruptly and gradually like it's happening through the entire movie and then when it actually happens it's it's li literally you know they're literally screams induced from the audience because hmm. it's so astonishingly exactly on the nose of the sort of adolescent female fantasy of what a sexual experience is going to be like. And it's on the nose to a level which I'm amazed that no one's parodied, parodied it yet because it would make a hilarious parody of exactly like, you know, this is kind of what girls want and have wanted and or they want it so much it terrifies them. And so there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. But it's something that every viewer unless they're very very young is going to pick up on and so you kind of carry that that message from the film and it's how you feel about that forever mm -hmm. it's only forever not long at all i know many uh oh, many uh, girls around that age who's uh Sec experience their sexual. We we experienced our sexual oh, blossoming to, into uh, womanhood. David Bowie's package on screen. Thank God of David <laughs> Bowie and his gray breeches of Goblin and King mastery. Thing, yeah, seen it versus seen it on VH. Well, your screen or more likely. Yeah, well VHS or on the big screen. Yeah, yeah it's a hell. Wow, it's really. It's not something you can deny it's or ignore. Face. Very it's much, really, right there. Yeah, There's very contours, much. Contours. So. Yeah, it's a lot of contours. Seen it all. Yeah, VHS versus well, and I guess te technically on screen, more likely VHS uh, in 1986 versus two decades later. Yeah. And it's a thing where even seen this at the lower. <laughs> no pun intended. Seen this, <laughs> seen this at the low at the lower Hurst oh, earlier this year, it's and just now, isn't it? It's a thing. <laughs> See this it's the, a thing you can't deny. Yeah, seeing this at the Laurelhurst and just like just audience laughter and like women dressed, women dre um, multiple women mm -hmm. showing up in was this Friday or I can't remember if this was like the opening night or second night, but multiple women you know there in in costume, in cosplay, in, in, yeah, in the costume for the ball. Not, I yeah. assume. No, well, one of them was uh, was a woman as Jareth. There are, and of I think course, there always least... there's always a woman as that's, Jareth because a lot of other women had a slightly different sexual awakening mm -hmm. on the side of that, which I also count as absolutely valid and important for America's future. And if we don't harness that energy, we're going to be wasting a massive amount of uh, you know innovation. If yeah, if you know what I'm picking up. Yeah, so All you, have, you have women as the Lady Jareth occasionally have people dressed to go to the ball where uh, Jareth has put out the, the, the bargain that he has, he has put forth for Sarah that it's it's on her to pick up. and mm. you know. I have to wonder if, if Jareth does this kind of thing 
all the time and yeah. everybody else at the ball was somebody else who he was taunting and tormenting yes, and yes. he was gonna yes that's like, what i've always thought that would be a great kind that's of what I've always comic thought. book or, or extrapolation from, i know like, going, back, <laughs> going back into that world and alas back... my my for my uh, former co-worker from dark horse is now doing that at uh, uh uh, what? Who handles it? Like, I was gonna say IDW. They would. Oh, is it, yeah, or, Sierra Han is, 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 is doing what I described about almost the, precisely, uh, and I'm so angry and jealous, and at the same time, I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. But that's exactly the kind of thing that I would be doing were I allowed to do so at Dark Horse. But I'm not actually allowed to do that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not allowed to have ideas that I can then like run with and why not franchise that thing it's like it's like they, right? they can make it's been they, franchised like, oh, all you have Pinhead to do is talk to appear to different characters and like have and, yeah. and, and likewise yeah, we have Dark, such Dark things Horse, to franchise to I you well, I, unfortunately Dark Horse is a company that is very much run by the patriarchy and the male gaze and so these things that appeals explicitly the gaze, to the female gaze they're, up to, they're are, always are up to complete, something are completely, oh I know god bless them the female god, gaze we would too. have passive fit right otherwise you know the male gaze. The male gaze. I think the female gaze are at least at least is responsible. Oh, they for are, demise. but it's but it's, 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 it's more uh, it's it's more pervasive. You know, it's a little bit. It's done more subtly. I'm getting like content for at least like like from our conversation. I'm getting like either ideas or content for at least like five different episodes. But that's what I was going to say bucks, Labyrinth yeah. could be franchised out in much the same way as yes. The Crow was yes. franchised out to different storylines. Yes, different and The Dark Crows Crystal and as and well. That. Like all the all... like that sort of like uh, Jim Henson output from that particular era is so rich. Like I don't know how they can just, franchise can a movie things. like The Hangover. They just have like the same shit keep happening to the same shitty people. The exact same it, stupid it, but, film executives uh, are doing the exact same drugs, and nobody can do anything. There about are it. so many great things that can be franchised in much more in interesting ways. No. I think there should they should already have like a Ghostbusters three, four, and five right, right? now. I agree that was yeah, that was part of the thing of like why um, why was there with such an idea. Why was there a, in, it, not such an idea? Even from even if you were wanting to go for, if you were editing, you know, cutting down the aspirational heights of like Dan Aykroyd's original peyote, God knows what kind of drug vision <laughs> of like Scott Aspergers. It's well, okay, he doesn't need was, drugs. But, but, well, no, no, but, but the idea, yeah, the, the the franchise idea, and which they which they explicitly mention, you know, the mm -hmm. franchise loans will make us millionaires. Mm -hmm. They the that they mentioned the original film. Mm -hmm. Why was there not more? Um, again, much like as what 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 uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about with the. Uh, with Hollywood, one of the Hollywood's greatest sins, which is the chronic decades long underuse of Ernie Hudson. Why were there not more um, Ghostbusters films that just take it like, okay, you have a basic idea and you have the, you know, these basic characters Even and just like direct to video, like movie well, focusing on Winston Zeddemore. I would watch the shit they, out of that. They tried to base the plot of the, the Ghostbusters uh, video game, mm. uh, 
But oh, Commodore 64. Uh, no, 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 no. The third script. It was effectively the, so the third script. Oh, I see. Because I played yes. the Ghostbusters. shit out of the one for the Commodore 64. Apple II for me. But but this is voiced by all the original actors. Yeah, which is which actually oh, I can I can awesome. show you I can show you all on you know I have that game on on the computer behind me. Oh, no, it was really? it is effectively the game is working your way through the sets and stories yeah. of Ghostbusters oh. 3. Yeah, you, it, it was pretty cool. I played the beginning of it. It's yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. It's kind of it's it does not have necessarily have the the um well it, it's kind of, in an ideal world they would have An, uh, Andrea Romano and Ivan Reitman as voice directors. They don't. So what are you going to do? But at least all the original characters are there, minus Sigourney think, Weaver. But I don't think Rick Moranis did that. Right, you know, you already uh, she was uh, he was not because by that point he'd retired from uh, from voice work. Oh God bless you, Rick. Well, do, but did you retire from Hollywood altogether? Yeah, he's he's for the he's, for the majority part. Yeah, he's, he's like I'm he's taking out. my honey. I shrunk the kids' money, and I'm yeah. Well, no, he I'm did gonna, the, no, I'm gonna do like they're gonna do um, banjo records. And no, he's yeah he fuck off. Um, he did a he did a uh, a nerdist he did a nerdist app uh, a couple years ago. It's pretty much, which you know helps elucidate on it, but it's effectively like from the the story that I always heard through you know the magical internet was that because uh, his wife died, he kind of retired uh, retired from Hollywood to help raise his kids to pretty much just you know raise his kids for the last couple you know two decades. And uh, decided that he liked being retired. And much like with certain people, like uh, with certain stars like Steve Gutenberg, he had made enough money during their golden, you know, apex years. They didn't have to, you know, if you make enough money, who, you know, F having to, you know, to come to go slog back through the. I never uh, understood get investments money, though. Yeah. It was like, oh, it was like. For for like several years, he was in everything. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, the likable main character. In, yeah, and these... then he was gone. And, he, and then he was just like, yeah. That's like, how you do well, it. That, I have enormous yeah. admiration Madeline, for him, did actually. Did Madeline Stowe do the same thing? Because she was in everything. Kind I Maybe. But kind of a maybe. But it wasn't the kind of money, so it's not really the same thing. That, I think you, know, you can't, as a, as a female actor, at that at, during that time frame, you couldn't just I, like... Make all the money and retire. Well, you were going to make anything the like the money, right? Well, I think with with uh, for my limited knowledge, at least with female actors, uh, again, you hit the you hit that age limit of mm -hmm. thirty five. And I speak say this as someone who I turn you know as a male white dude who turned forty this month. Wow, that's Woo. that's effed up. Happy birthday, Danka. Um, yeah, uh, de nada. Um, um, it was um well you saw the post you saw the pictures i posted I correct did. did you see the posters i picture i the pictures i posted uh, my for my well my 40 my, for my 40th birthday party i decided to be to do the mature thing and i held it at purrington's i you know i, I didn't i didn't <laughs> Have you well? You, you've heard you've heard of Purrington's, correct? I haven't blocked you or anything. Purrington's. Purrington's. Okay. Purrington's, Purrington's is a it's cat. A, it's, a, it's a cat it's cafe. The cat thing. Cafe. Yes, it is a cat cafe is on in, Fremont on MLK. Oh, oh, maybe I did see them. I, you know, yeah, that rings a bell. It yeah, is, but it's kind of. It was much like my my thirty third birthday was a pizza and video game thing that happened at Ground Control because why the hell not. 
um, for when I turned 40, it was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do this. I took the uh, I took the example of Dave Barry, who once wrote that he decided to have his bir- his fortieth birthday in Germany because he wanted to be surrounded by as much beer as poss- possible. <laughs> I figured it'd be, you know I would do the Portland thing and do my fortieth birthday surrounded at, by as many cats as yeah, possible. Yeah, just do it at Purrington's and <laughs> and just like and like, yeah, just lots. Of, it was great. You know, I in fact I can um, if any of you guys want a little, I have a couple gift bags left there. I can give you a gift bag that yes, I made. Please, oh my okay. god, that's um, great. I made gift bags for people for, you know, for coming out just to, cause like, it's like, Hey, this is, you know, this is going to be like, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's my birthday, which means I can set like, Hey, let, you know, everyone come meet at this place and let's do this dumb shit. And it's awesome. And it's, uh, it wasn't video games. It was going to, um, it was going to the cat cafe. It was the first time I ever, I ever actually spent any time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to active listeners, uh, yeah, we heavily recommend uh, visiting Purrington's in Portland, Oregon, uh, at Northeast MOK and Fremont. I haven't been there yet, and it's killing me. Like I was gonna go, and then a friend of mine was like, "Well, maybe we're thinking about getting a cat." And I'm like, "Well, would you go with me to Purrington's?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And then that didn't happen, and now months have gone by, and I still haven't gone to Purrington's. And it's getting kind of, you know, I, can, I I don't I don't know what to do. Can I bring a kid there? Can I take my daughter? certainly? Yeah, yes. I oh, think there I think there is a they 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 encourage she's six. that. Fact. She is from they I think she's a, there. I think there are they have certain. You can bring a six year old there. I think there are certain. I don't know if it's um, how free. I would check the website first. I think there is a certain requirement versus on certain hours where they just. Where you know all the all the um, everybody in the cat cafe because they want to have like not necessarily happy hours but certainly chill hours from like the like you know maybe five to eight that they want to have you know you have to be like fifteen years old before you be uh, just to have like for people who want to be there just to chill out but the, definitely you can I as far as for wow yeah, as they, far as they, I know they, they as far as I know you can they are okay with having kids that, there yes cool. yeah because Sasha can be chill. All right. And it's um, filled with adorable cats, half of whom I'm already in love with, I, which yeah. is why I wanted to go there with a friend that was maybe thinking about bringing one home because I can't do that. <laughs> so ideally, if I fell in love with a cat, then I could pass it on to my friend, and then it would be their cat, and then I'd see the cat all the time, but it wouldn't have to be mine. <laughs> And as an example of a of a cat that is mem- uh, memorable and uh, that you want to bring home, we'll talk about Gabriel, the uh, extra long-haired white floof cat from the film The Crow. Oh my God! I I. It's okay. How do you do it, Jeremy Simon? Uh, it's called working way too hard about it. Segway. So um. Segway. So this will either be a new episode or a continuation of a previous one. I have no idea how I'm going to edit it, but we're going to talk about the comics, the fir- film, the sequels, sort of, the soundtrack, and our own personal histories with the um, the well at this point the IP, the franchise that is the Crow, the cultural phenomenon, indeed, that resulted in the explosion of the Crow in 1994. <laughs> 
on or and before remember the the, fil- the, the co- film we're talking, oh, yeah, well yeah the film but i think we should also bring in the fact that the comic we should, we, we need to talk about the comic as you two are uh our uh, sequential art uh perfect well if not professionals oh, at least thank you that's lovely at least here. far more oh, thank you, you. Oh, wrong one wrong way you're um you got it yes okay from there you're you're you're, you're cutting out my headphones okay. you're uh far more into the world of se- the professional world of sequential art than my engineering ass ever was it's like professional world of sequential art you know comic-con demands now the professional credentials every three years really i think i hit my three-year mark but i didn't go this year so it didn't matter but do, do they make have any, any i don't have any recent credentials to really add god to damn it, it. Do, do they make you like recert or something or do you do you get like a blood test or like a semen test or something well, or it's, like it, yes. you have to you have to reapply for your pre- professional credentials to get in as a as a pro really wow um, every every three years oh god, i, I mean them. unless unless you're like i mean i understand but um... i mean i'm sure like what when while will will eisner will eisner Will oh, cross yourself. <laughs> Will Eisner, yet owner, was, was, owner was alive. Of, I'm sure they didn't make him. Yeah, you know, I'm sure he, he yeah. continued to produce stuff, but but owner of Eisner glasses your... seen in the film The Krill in the comic. Eisner but, yeah. glass. It's where you go when you know. Will Eisner, no, but... he did the shadow. Yeah, boom. That's no, all but I know. no, but, uh, but can yeah, please continue. But it's um. He didn't. Did he do the what? What? He did the shadow. Yes, yeah. No. Did. Will uh, Will Don't Will Eisner he created the shadow. Yes, he's the okay, creator well, I, of and did like among the, many the many other things on the the title really. But you know, the only I wasn't nerds aware of the shadow. No, that well, was. it's um his shadow was. I mean, I not was, quite the, not I don't know if it was necessarily the same it wasn't quite the same as the Orson Welles radio you know pop hero radio radio star shadow but it was really work on integrating those two things yeah I thought the shadow was a was like a pulp magazine which it was yes yes yeah. yes it was yeah and, and I, at I the same time like associated like, Will Eisner with the spirit as his you're right it was the spirit not the shadow the shadow i'm sorry no that's fine the, the spirit was the, the the was the white spirit. dude in a in a in the mask and the all uh, in the blue and white suit the shadow as portrayed by everyone from Orson Welles through Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. which is a hell of a gamut. He's the only one who knows, apparently. He's the only one who knows. The oh, yeah. He's the only one who knows. Right. And to this point, only the, only the shadow has a pinball, has a, uh, has a massive, has a major pinball game. Uh, the spirit has no pinball, uh, pinball game yet. Um, yeah, suck it, spirit. <laughs> You're irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, but, um, art's very good. Indeed. But I just, I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I love but in, but, but, uh, but in terms of, uh, in terms of art, let's, let's talk about, let us, uh, w- w- we will start with what is, um, John, what is your particular, what is your personal history? When did you first hear or and or find out about the crow? I guess I was, uh. I was in high school um, when I, I guess I was, I was around the time I did most of my comics collecting. I, I was really, it was, it was a cool time uh, to be uh, in comics like around 
late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Right before that. That was awesome. It was great. There was no shame. There was no hiding. There was no weirdness about availability. There's a lot of really great titles and really great work being done and at the that time. explosion of the indie scene yeah you know, you know and, and the explosion of image for That's better or for worse at that it. time it was uh uh it did did so much for the landscape of comics and and you yeah. know and, and and the way that that the industry tried to capitalize on the collectability of comics by <laughs> releasing yeah. all the foil covers. Oh, yes. That yeah, the chromium that, age. I mean, I, I was the generation that that stuff was marketed to. But it looks really cool. And, and, I mean, like, to, to this day, it looks like a really but great variant cover with a hollow bags foil. Don't look cool. Poly bags is yeah. just like, it's yeah, bullshit. It's, it's like, just oh, what? sealed yeah. in plastic just for the sake of preserving it. And if you read it, you know, then you're you're. Yeah, fingerprints on it. I, I I was at a panel discussion about that stuff uh, in the early '90s, and someone was challenging some image creators about stop releasing all these. But and Jim Lee chimed in. He's like, "Well, usually when we polybag a book, it's just to hold." something extra that we're giving the reader inside the book like a trading card the, the breath of the master yeah button mm -hmm. a pin that's not even available anymore. and mm -hmm. it's these yeah, other yeah. promo items it's holding Read together the holographic card mm -hmm. <clears throat> i kind of i kind of bought it at the time i was like yeah i could see it's a it's just a utilitarian layer <clears throat> how foolish you need something to hold we those things how foolish there. you don't want to no, it was just a fancy bag, darling. And fancy uh, bag. and and what was your particular history with uh, well, your memory, your personal history? I from the uh, of I had a line. friend, uh, the same friend that got me into comics, uh, dear Jefferson Powers. <coughs> I wonder if he listens, but I doubt, I doubt it. He's completely disconnected from every single thing. Mm. Um, but he had been funneling me comics for some years, and I basically just read whatever he put in front of me because he was generally never wrong. And uh, he managed to put in front of me the full run of the f the first run of The Crow by James O'Barr. And I was horrified and yet totally fascinated by it because I had I had never seen a comic so bleak in my life. Mm. And it was very attractive to me. And, uh, <coughs> you know, I got some of the in-jokes of, you know, the little bits that James O'Barr put in. And so I thought it was really cool. And I went through college, and you know things went on. I knew a few things about comics, but not really. And then when I once I got out of college, comics started becoming more and more uh, important to me, and so I started going to stores more and looking at stuff. And then they announced that they were making a movie of The Crow, and I thought that was hilarious and probably pretty ill-advised. But you know, I got a group of folks together, and we went to see it, and. I remember, like, maybe ten minutes in the movie, turning to my, my seatmate and saying, it's the first gothic American film, you guys. This is really, really important. This is the film that they made for goths by goths. This is, this is gonna, this is gonna the, the wellspring of an entirely new movement to everyone. Check I it out. I was kind of offended, because I thought that what The Crow did for at the time like goth culture I, yeah. I didn't think it was like it was kind of almost like it was over <laughs> well, I, well, I thought it was it was an attempt to brand 
what goths think. Yeah, and how oh, goths very act much and, so. And very like much the, the so. Morality code of being and a goth. To, to commercialize to it me, at last. To me, like the comics that the comics that really uh, that really canonized what goth culture, like well, what it was mm-hmm. at that time, late eighties, early nineties. That was Neil Gaiman and, and, and the well, Sandman, yes, Sandman, Vertigo. But, but, but yeah. though you weren't seeing adaptations Death. of those things. Yeah. Oh no, you, you should like, have. Not even a little bit. I mean, there were. I mean, the closest thing to it is the BBC uh, adaptation of Neverwhere, yeah, well, which that... I consider totally precious. But again, it's not that. It's not that gothic. But really, it, it bothers me that Hollywood decided to latch on to the more sinister and oh, I guess I uh, the more revenge fuel yeah amoral, and it's, 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 it, a, it's a it's a it's a it's an anomaly it was really like, it was there's like, no there's no logic behind that there's no specific logic that that tells you that um you know hey let's exploit the goths there's something here that like commerce like, will me, always have it, primacy on because they really, need like, these things it was goth and just, we'll separate them from their money. It was gothic costuming. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a look. It was, it was, it was mm-hmm. try. It was kind of like, like hot topic. Yes, version it was. Goth. It was it hot was, topic goth was suddenly in front of everybody, and they seemingly kind of liked it. And so I was like, oh wow, a whole bunch of like fifth and sixth graders are going to be super into goth now. But that yeah, is kind of interesting. Like Sting, I, the wrestler, did his whole crow <laughs> face okay. makeup, and that, you know everybody knows how goth pro wrestling always is. Um, per, uh, I will not hear a an ill word spoken about <laughs> pro wrestling in this house. <laughs> But I'm not it's saying a, it, I, a, it's not it's, for everybody. <laughs> Hillbilly Jim was a, is a hero a, of mine. That's an entire, but not just that, but it's um. Uh, did you hear about the uh, the uh, in the Olympics the Iranian wrestler kid who wasn't allowed to wrestle because he was going to wrestle Israel and Iran doesn't recognize Israel's legitimacy as a country. What and, the, and I what, said this year's Olympics. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, well, that's this is bad. But ago. Iran <laughs> has been letting the Iron Sheik wrestle Americans <laughs> for the ever since I was a kid, and I. I what that's a, that's such a, an about face like Israel. I I understand oh they God. don't recognize Israel as a country, but they ne- I don't think they recognize the uh, like America as a as a country or or, or a uh, yeah uh, the inconsistency. Uh, like why crazy, why yeah. would they let the Iron Sheik wrestle Hulk Hogan? Say I cannot I cannot speak to the uh, the, the inter intercontinental diplomacy yeah. of uh, like, who is allowed what. All I can say is I that, told um, you so. Yes, we okay. You this entire time you have pitched, you have besieged us with your pitches for T-shirts to sell to people at, at uh, you know at uh, various uh, you know at you know, the hot topic modern thing. yeah yeah you call it you call it your alt Etsy and it's um like, no it's it's a yes alt Etsy may you might be able to make money for it but we don't want any part of this alt Etsy. Uh, yes. Look at the shirt I'm wearing. I'm yeah, wearing your, your shirt says Cabron. It says Cabron, Cabron. and it's, a, it's like the Cobra, the Cobra um, logo from GI Joe, but it's actually a, go, a goat's head. This this was deni- designed a by cuts, uh, my, my good friend Juan Fernando Garcia of uh, lblackbat.com. Excellent. What, uh, can he design a, a T-shirt that has the logo for pagan people against goodness and normalcy? 
Uh, if he hasn't already, I'm, I'm sure. Design. It's just something none, you, about. Uh, none of you guys have. Uh, none of you guys remember Dragnet the film. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I remember. Co-starring Amal Muzz and uh, Jack Halloran, the guy who played Nod from uh, Su- Superman Two, playing Amal Muzz. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I know. Anyway, I know. But just um, you, me. Your balls <laughs> and, this and this drawer. In this drawer, yes. <laughs> I'm Abel Muzz and I'm a pagan. Uh, this is what the this is this is this is a dumbass recording. What we're not going to stop because oh why? Oh my gosh! Um, my uh, I I uh, I might as well like at this point I'll take my turn. Um, I can remember you know going to those Motor City Comic Cons. Growing up in Michigan, um, my first Motor City Comic Con was. Either March, either like spring or fall of '92, uh, and driving down to uh, to Novi, Michigan, which is about a Ooh. half an hour outside of Detroit. Novi. And uh, and going there I've for years. Wondered, I've always wondered how you pronounce that. Novi. Novi. It's um, yeah, Novi, N-O-V-I. It's uh, it's it's about that remarkable. Yep. Where where does it appear on on the mitten? On the mitten, it is between. Um, you have uh, Detroit, uh, yeah, uh, no, a little bit closer to the water. To to, well, it's it's south. You, your your thumb is not high enough, but uh, there you go. Yeah, there he goes. Um, My fingers are just stubby. To yeah, the the um, John for you uh, for you Liz, watching at home. John is trying to illustrate uh, the Michigander Michigan technique of how to you know how to illustrate a map location well, on his hand for Michiganders um, that aren't from the Upper Peninsula. Well, from the from the from the Upper, huh? Michiganders, I want to talk to the Uppers in the crowd. Losers, Michiganders. Oh, you like you Uppers, you you uh, you Lopers, huh? I. Uh... I don't know if that's even relevant then. It's a left hand, isn't it? That I sh- I should just put, I should just put on the entire. Hang on a second. Give me a second. I'm gonna I just I just realized I should just probably just like put on the entire dig just damn soundtrack on the. Where's Spotify? Give me Spotify. Oh, that, that thing. This yeah. The after the Stone Temple Pilots. Uh... <laughs> that's all the tough guys. That to. that is the most. But no, I, gothy uh, band. <laughs> Well, oh, Stone yeah. no, but so much. I think that's uh, that song. I really like. Um, I mean, it wasn't like Alice in Chains and like the Rooster, which would cut into uh, episodes of Beef and Butthead. I think they would, um, if memory serves, they would play uh, Big Empty, the STP t- tune, during uh, Beef and Butthead as well. To to me, um, the Big Empty sounded just like another Stone Temple Pilot song. Uh, uh, the, the one that no 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 it begins the same way it goes like <laughs> so many cuts from uh, so many cuts from MTV Unplugged <laughs> and then instead of going take time with a wound they went time to take her home but it's the same thing I don't know if we're necessarily alienating and or triggering so many people listening to this. Is like, if you were of a certain age, you remember this far harder than you would want to. I but, mean, um, I, I get confu- at the time I get confused as to which song it was. 
the, the which Stone Temple Pilots song was start. If I heard it on the radio, I would. There, yeah, there were so many. It, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the early '90s was a time where, um, early mid '90s, where even if you strongly disliked the Stone Temple Pilots and their ilk, you really it was very difficult to ignore them and or like escape from them because well, it uh, you know, shit was everywhere. To- uh, to my friends in San Diego, or to our listeners in San Diego, mm. well, we, you know, I know that you, uh, the radio hasn't really changed much, and the, the Star Total Pilots, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and uh, Nirvana, and, and the, the whole uh, early 90s thing, it's still in, in full, Cla- full swing. Yeah, what has what is best described as classic rock for 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. For uh, for a gen- for younger Gen Xers and older uh, millennials, just, if yes. you want to like break break things down into terms that you would see in a, a New York Times uh, bit, the generation that Kurt Cobain was the spokesman for. Yes, that's us. X of the generation.